Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Zach Churchill, MLA and leadership candidate for the Nova Scotia Liberal Party. Zach, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Quinn, thanks for having me on the show. This is a lot of fun, man. So I think we should start with your political experience. I mean, how did you get your start in politics and what's your time in the legislature and as a minister taught you so far? Well, I've been representing the uh, people of Yarmouth in the provincial legislature. It will be 12 years in June this, this coming summer. Uh, it's gone by quick. I can't believe how fast 12 years goes by. And uh, during that time, I've served both, both previously in opposition when Daryl Dexter was premier. Mm -hmm. And uh, I served uh, eight years as a cabinet minister under Stephen McNeil in various portfolios, any in Rankin, uh, from the, the Department of Health. I was minister there, minister of education. I uh, got to bring in pre-primary, which was really exciting and one of the highlights of my career. I also served as minister of municipal affairs uh, during a, a pretty serious time with droughts and, and, uh, and floods in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. And I also served as Minister of Communications and uh, Natural Resources was my, my first portfolio back in uh, 2013. So I guess you you're in a good spot because you've, you've seen how the party works in government and in opposition. So how would you plan on rejuvenating the party itself and its EDAs going forward? Well, I, I certainly do bring the experience to understand the organization. I've viewed some of the deficits and how we've been structured and how we operate and have some good ideas on, on how to move us forward and make us a stronger organization. You know, we have to have stronger EDAs that are better supported by the party, uh, our electoral district associations for people that aren't used to the, <laughs> the, the political jargon. <laughs> so these are the groups that support local candidates and MLAs in, in their ridings. This is the lifeblood of any political party. They're the ones that are knocking on doors and pushing out the vote in each individual constituency that a candidate is, is running in. And I don't feel like we have um, fully allowed uh, the volunteers in these organizations to see their full potential. I benefited greatly in Yarmouth when I first started uh, because of a really strong uh, EDA next to us in Clare, which was uh, mm -hmm. uh, Will Wadette's EDA. He'd served for 20 years. And they came in, they taught us how to operate an EDA, how to run effective election campaigns. And we really used that mentorship and learning as uh, part of our uh, strategy uh, here in Yarmouth. And we've run four successful campaigns uh, since. We need to have these same sort of opportunities for other EDAs. They need to have support from the EDAs that are better established. They need to have training opportunities from the party. And we also need to use our party membership better to develop our platforms. That's something that um, has always bothered me about, about our organization as the platform has always come from the top down. Although we've been very good at incorporating party policies into the platform, we haven't really had a focused strategic process driven by the party to develop the, the major platform planks that you, you want to run on. So that's something I would like to uh, change as well is benefit from the great brain power in our party a little more and utilize the, the great thinkers we have to really uh, help us develop a, an exciting transformative platform that we can uh, pitch to Nova Scotians as a viable alternative to the current government. So how would we kind of start to introduce uh, the general policy of the party into our electoral platforms? I mean, would it be as simple as including our AGM policy into the platform itself, or is there more reaching out that we need to do? Well, I think one of the, one of the challenges we've had is that the, the policy process has been, you know, fairly 
uh, ad hoc. So every, anyone that has a really interesting idea, they can float a policy idea through their EDA, and then the membership votes on whether they like them or not. What we haven't done is uh, applied like a strategic framework to that, that process. So like, for example, we say, here are the big issues right now that we have to really focus our attention on. Um, healthcare. Healthcare is going to remain mm -hmm. a priority for Nova Scotians. The current government does not have a plan to modernize that system. And there's more and more pressure mounting on that system at a time that there's a, there's a labor shortage. The labor shortage overall is another major area that we have to focus our attention on, as well as affordability and cost of living. So I, I think we really need to frame up our conversation with party members when it comes to policy development um, in a, in a plat through a platform lens. Like this isn't about every kind of issue that we care about as liberals. This is about the big issues that matter to Nova Scotians. What are they? How can we figure out policy solutions to them that we can afford, uh, that makes sense, that are reasonable, and that can help uh, move this province forward, not just for a four-year election cycle, but heading into, you know, uh, uh, the future. You know, that, that's one thing people always complain about with politics is that the, the mm -hmm. vision is four years out, driven by the election cycle. There's some truth to that. Obviously, having election cycles every four years drives that uh, approach, but I think we've got a real opportunity as a party to be the, the visionary party of this province that are looking 10, 20 years out and making the tough decisions now uh, for the future. That's how we governed uh, under, under, under Stephen. Um, that's what I learned during my time in cabinet is that you, you do have to take that longer term view when you're making decisions and even make the tough decisions when things don't seem popular at the time, if, if it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I guess being out of government now, it's just a chance to, to reflect on that and find a new strategy going forward. We've got a great opportunity now as a party to uh, rejuvenate ourselves, get excited about ideas again. Mm -hmm. and, and rebuild our organization to be a force to be reckoned with in, in three years. I think our party can win uh, in 2025. And uh, that's why I'm running. Uh, I'm not running because I want to be in opposition. <laughs> in I, I don't get a high level of satisfaction out of opposition work, particularly after being in government. I, I'm in politics to make a difference. And the best way to do that is when you're in government and you're, and you're, you're able to make decisions and deploy the, the resources of government in the ways that you think are best suited to meet the needs of the day. Uh, yeah, so we've spoken a lot about uh, getting people's input on policies, which I think is a great idea. But what kind of policies would you like to prioritize uh, if you could take government? There's three key areas I think we need to focus on. Uh, healthcare, particularly primary healthcare. These issues are not going away. It's become very clear in the first nine months of, of Tim Houston's government that uh, they don't have a plan for healthcare to, mm -hmm. to fix. They've thrown away all their, their platform promises that um, didn't have a, a high level of credibility to begin with, promising things like 24-7 surgeries, 300 doctors a year, 2,000 new nurses into the yeah. system, 2,500 long-term care beds, uh, universal mental health care. You know, there are some aspirational things there, but they have really... Uh, backpedaled on every single one of those commitments. And I think that gives us a great, um, a great opportunity to really think of, okay, what, what, what do we need to do with our healthcare system to not only uh, support the, the people that, that need it and support the staff that are in it, but uh, what can we do to help people live longer and stay healthier? And I think a real focus that we need to make is on preventative care in Nova Scotia, doing early lung cancer screenings, for example, make sure more people are doing 
um, the, the test for, for colon cancer, uh, make sure we're tracking cardiovascular issues better. And we can actually focus operational dollars in this preventative side of care. Uh, and that is not only going to take pressure off the system because it's way more expensive to, and more resource heavy to take care of people when they are the sickest than it is to take care of people and, and, and help them at earlier stages, particularly, uh, you know, of cancer and cardiovascular disease. Uh, we're going to save lives if we do that and make people healthier here and help them age longer and stay in their homes longer. And this is the best thing we can do to um, support our healthcare system and, and support the health uh, of, of our people. So I think we really need to focus a lot of attention on preventative care, helping people live healthier lives. Uh, I do think, um, you know, uh, having a capital plan built around recreational facilities and making sure they're accessible for people, uh, investing in our trail network to help people get out and be active and walk and ski uh, year round. These are public works initiatives that also tie into health. Mm -hmm. that, uh, we can't, we can't lose sight of as well. So that, that's a, that's a big one. Um, um, I don't know if you have another question there, Quinn, but I can keep going on the other two top issues. I no, no, it. please do. I, I like the idea of preventative care. I mean, uh, in the debate, you weren't allowed to really elaborate. We didn't have time to elaborate as much as you'd like to. But um, I, I think it's a good way forward when the province is struggling for for funds and for workers. But, you know, so, please, please do go ahead on, on the other two. We really have to do that. We have this problem in healthcare where our population is aging and getting sicker mm. uh, at a time when we have less labor available uh, in our healthcare system. So this is going to create a real serious crunch. And um, I think we have to uh, think differently about how we deploy our, our health resources. And the, the earlier we catch certain problems, the healthier uh, people are, are and the healthier lifestyles they're living, uh, that's the best, that's where we get the best bang for our buck on a, on a whole bunch of different, different fronts, right? Um, the labor shortage is a big deal right now. It's impacting healthcare delivery. It's impacting our education system, it's impacting everywhere from fish plants to restaurants, small businesses. Uh, everybody's looking for, for workers right now, which is a really in interesting problem to have considering our population's actually growing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right now, we've gotten over a million people. So there's some major shifts in the labor market that we have to uh, wrap our heads around that are, that are impacting this. Um, Immigration's key to that, but of course, if you're going to bring more people into the province, we have to have housing, and the labor shortage is impacting our ability to get new housing stock online and to build new um, houses, particularly in rural Nova Scotia or duplexes or, or apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. So these things are, are very much uh, all linked, but immigration training and uh, training incentives and, and accessibility are, are key to uh, to those issues. But if, if we don't wrap our head around the housing thing, we're not going to be able to bring more people into the province. So uh, that's one thing that's very complicated housing that this government um, hasn't really wrapped their head around. They're certainly focused on uh, eliminating some of the uh, red tape that developers have had in, in Halifax or that they've expressed they've had. Um, uh, working through the municipalities, so they've kind of stepped on the toes of the of the Halifax Regional Municipality. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they don't really have a plan for housing, particularly in rural Nova Scotia. They, you know, they think just getting rid of some red tape is going to ensure a bunch of buildings are are built a, a lot more quickly. But again, there's a labor shortage. 
there's not there's not enough skilled workers to get these projects done on time and it's impacting everything from the the delay in getting new schools built to uh you know having availability get, to get your new houses built or, or renovate houses so uh that is a big issue they do have some money in the budget for for skilled trades uh, incentives so that is a good thing uh, that the conservatives are doing. They, we do need to focus on, on skilled trades and, and the labor shortage. So hopefully the initiatives are, are pretty standard. They're what every other government's done, including us, you know, throw some bursaries at it, uh, do some marketing. So I don't know if they'll have more success with that than, than previous governments, because again, the strategy is pretty much the same thing. We throw resources at it, but, uh, it is something we really need to, uh, to figure out. And, um, as inflation goes up and the cost of living continues to rise, this is going to put increased pressure on, on people and their spending. It can lead to a, a recession if, if everyone has to save their bucks instead of going out and eating and enjoying themselves or spending their money on, on, on uh, non-essential goods. So there are some real, uh, I think, challenges developing that, that um, we're not paying too much attention to Yet the government isn't uh, the overall impact that inflation may have uh, on our society and economy. So those are things that we need to think about as liberals and 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 wrap our heads around. And it can't just be us either as the as party members. I think we need to bring some expert thinkers uh, in as well and uh, have presentations, have debates, and really work through uh, robustly the the policy ideas that are out there that are being floated around and. Um, I think we'll get somewhere. Now, just briefly on, on housing, there's immense amounts of urban sprawl around HRM right now. And it, it may be that this isn't an issue with an easy fix, but how do you find a balance between the need for more housing and crazy urban sprawl in the city versus limited population growth? That, that, that's, a, that's a part of the issue, right? So we, we have um, municipal rules in place that prevent density. Mm -hmm. building so you know in a lot of areas uh, you can only build single family dwellings right and people in those neighborhoods like that because you know you get a the, the kind of a similar um incomes and you know single families yeah. if you're a family that's really nice to have right mm -hmm. or if you're retired it's nice to have uh, people in your demographic around so that stuff's really important to consider but uh, we do have rules in place right now that are preventative to increasing the, the housing stock because people can't build, you know, duplexes or triplexes or fourplexes or, or larger in, in certain neighborhoods where it makes a lot of sense to do that. Like in downtowns mm. uh, in rural Nova Scotia, you know, we should have uh, more density in our downtowns. It's better for the environment. It's better for people's pocketbooks because they're they're driving in their vehicle less um make it it's better for their health because they're walking usually to the farmer's market or the coffee shop or the grocery store inst instead of driving so we really do i think have to factor in um a densification strategy it, yeah. it's one of the issues that impacts so many things in, in in nova scotia like half of our population is living in in, in rural nova scotia which is excellent and these rural communities are growing right now um, but because we're sprawled out kind of in every single nook and cranny in every island, that creates a lot of financial pressure on the province to maintain the road networks and the bridges and the ferries. So as we grow, 
Um, and I'm certainly not saying that, uh, like I, I, uh, our small communities are incredible and, uh, and these rural areas are growing and I think more people are going to move to rural areas and remote areas. So I think that's going to keep going, but we also have to have a plan for uh, densification as well. And where we can, uh, we should be doing that because again, it makes, uh, the, um, public investments a lot more efficient for, for road, for sewer, wastewater, uh, and it's, it's better uh, for the environment and, and, and for people's health when we're, when we're doing that. For the people that wanna live in, in, you know, in, in town centers, uh, of course. Uh, but I do think there's more and more people that wanna do that. And we have to have rules in place that allow people that are building uh, our housing supply to build larger, um, uh, buildings that can accommodate uh, more people. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, so, so moving briefly away from policy and back to the party for a moment, uh, you're a supporter of the young liberals. So, so going forward, what role would you like those young liberals to play in kind of elections and policy making itself? Well, we've, we've always used young liberals as kind of like workhorses in, uh, <laughs> in our campaigns, right? So the door knockers, and what I what I learned by actually getting getting some young liberals into the Armouth Association is that they know technology better than anybody else on the campaign. They know how to use Slack and and social media more effectively than um, you know. I'm not that old. I'm 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 37, but you know the the 20 something year old <laughs> campaign are much better and more proficient at at use of technology. Um, they're the ones that are. Uh, also identifying the issues that matter to what is becoming the largest voting block uh, in our country and, and in our province. And that's, you know, millennials and, 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 and the younger generation. So they're very good at kind of a, like problem identification, thinking about longer term uh, mm -hmm. policy solutions because they're at the beginning of their, their career and, uh, and you know, they're like, okay, what are, what are, what am I dealing with right now? Okay. I, I don't have enough money to get a house. I always wanted a house. I was always told I'd be able to get a house, but it's very expensive right now. Access to capital to get down payments is a problem. Uh, affordability is a big issue. The younger generation cares deeply about inequality. It's the young liberals that brought forward a, a guaranteed income uh, policy, uh, that was passed at the last AGM, which I thought was really exciting and, and forward thinking. And that's certainly something that we need to be giving some uh, very real consideration to because yeah, I was on that committee. It was fun. Good job, man. Uh, listen, <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you folks for doing that because uh, uh, that's very forward looking. It's also transformative, right? Mm. So our young people are bringing transformative ideas um, and, and they're not caught in the um, the old systems and accepting what is just because it, yeah. as it is. So, so to get back to your, to your point, I think there's uh, a real leadership role that's happening with our young liberals on the idea front, on the policy front and on our organizational front and how to be more efficient, proficient in, in communicating and, and sharing our dear ideas and, and organizing ourselves uh, as well, utilizing technology. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Bradley Varon, who's uh, the young liberal president right now, and, and Grace uh, McGray, who's one of our young liberal members in Yarmouth, mm -hmm. uh, they went from being, you know, kind of uh, folks that 
we were using for for door knocking because they're had more energy and you know yeah, yeah, yeah. uh young and fit to actually being leaders in campaign strategy and 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 campaign uh organization and and on the policy front so uh it's about empowering uh that next generation of uh, of liberals um and getting them ready to take over this party right the <laughs> That, that's what happened. I mean, I started off young as a, uh, and I was primarily in student politics, but was always a liberal and involved in um, uh, young liberal networks, not, mm-hmm. not directly involved in the young liberals, but uh, that's how I got involved in politics. Um, that's when I started seeing the value of public policy and the impact that you can have in this line of work. So we certainly, uh, and, and if I didn't have the encouragement and support of people like Mike Savage, Senator Terry Mercer, uh, Senator Willie Moore, uh, Mark, uh, MPs Mark Eiking and Scott Bryson and, uh, and Roger Kuzner uh, and, and, and Robert Tebow, who was an MP in my area. These, you know, these, these folks that I really look up to uh, encouraged me and motivated me and included me to be involved in, in the party and in, in, you know, real fun ways. And uh, we have to make sure we're continuing to do that for the next generation of people coming up because, it's not, it doesn't have to be that long to get involved. I ran when I was 26. I was yeah. in cabinet when I was 28. So, you know, for any young liberal that's out there right now, uh, you know, you don't have to wait 20 years to actually get in there and play a leadership role and, and uh, have an impact in the party or, or the province. You can, you can do it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's good to see that happening. And we certainly have to make sure that we're fostering, encouraging that and providing mentorship opportunities and, uh, and, uh, and also learning from them. Yeah, that's, I, a, yeah. that's heartening to hear. So um, obviously we hope we can win next election, but we're kind of destined to have at least a few years in opposition first. So I'm, I'm interested in how you would scrutinize and hold Houston to account in government. I feel like I'm best positioned to do that as a former health minister. I mean, his, his whole narrative is built on fixing health care, which he has backpedaled on in a very obvious way by mm-hmm. even saying, well, fix is subjective. It's like, okay, not really. There's, there's objective metrics that we use to evaluate our healthcare system, patient attachment, surgical wait times, ICU capacity, uh, staffing levels, staffing ratios, staffing vacancies, um, wait times to get in and see a mental health care uh, professional. Like there's, there's obviously a pile of objective metrics you use to see if you're fixing the healthcare system. Um, and the fact that he's backpedaled so quickly on his healthcare commitments and taken their platform off the internet and brought forward a healthcare action plan with nothing of substance in it um, tells me they don't know what they're doing in healthcare. Uh, the way they've managed COVID-19 has actually exacerbated the problems that they themselves said they were going to try to fix. So uh, it's going to be longer now to get your elective surgeries and maybe some more critical surgeries. Our staffing vacancies are going to be higher and higher because there's more and more people out with, uh, with COVID. That's impacting MRIs, CAT scans, lab tests. Um, and, uh, and it's certainly not creating more access points for primary care at a time when that's, that's probably the biggest issue for Nova Scotians is accessing their family doctor or primary care provider. So not only have these, have, have these folks, uh, the Tories and, and Premier Houston uh, backpedaled on their commitments to Nova Scotians, 
they've actually governed in a way that have made the problems in healthcare uh, worse. So certainly I think it's critical for an opposition party to hold them to account for this. Um, and I've got no problem defending our record in health. Of course, we didn't fix everything. There's a lot of pressures, a lot of, a lot of systemic uh, challenges that the healthcare is facing, particularly demographic and, and related to the labor market that are very hard to overcome. Um, but we doubled the amount of nurse practitioners. We expanded cancer care. We recruited more doctors to the province and trained more than ever before. We expanded the scope of practice for pharmacists and, and other healthcare professionals. So we did do some good things. And of course, our public health management during the pandemic protected our healthcare system and uh, saved lives uh, as well. So you know, while we didn't do a very good job defending our record in the last election, um, and while we can't say that we fixed it all or got a doctor for every Nova Scotian, we certainly didn't. We made demonstrable improvements. Um, the investments in the in the capital plan, you know, we're you know the Tories might be able to cut the ribbons on it, but all that investment to build the new center in, in I think it's still going to be in Bears Lake and in in Sydney and expanding the cancer care. Uh, program here in Yarmouth, you know, those are things that we, that we, we did and we, we didn't talk about. And I think if it may be the case that after maybe they get it together and start moving the needle in the right way in health, but we haven't seen it yet. We've seen everything get worse. Um, but uh, I certainly feel prepared to challenge them on their record, hold them to account for the promises that they're backpedaling on and, and feel very uh, adequately prepared to defend our record in healthcare uh, if it comes to that, because this issue is not going away. The challenges are going to continue to increase. The pressure is going to continue to increase. And I, and I don't think that um, they have fully thought out what needs to happen in that healthcare system. And the person they have in charge doesn't even have any healthcare experience. Uh, the CEO of the, of the health board, they fired everybody in the health board that did a great job helping us particularly manage the pandemic and, and move the system in the right way. They, they, they lost a lot of expertise there and replaced it with, you know, primarily one, one person that doesn't have any experience in health. So we'll, we'll see where that goes, but um, that's certainly something that we need to pay close attention to and, and hold their feet to the fire on because that was what they promised. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so, so finally, what is the one single thing that the party must do to improve upon the last election result? Oh, so there's not just, you know, that's a really hard question. So I, I if, if I, if I can, can I give you more than one, <laughs> you know, sure. I, I think, I think the first priority, so let's, let's frame it up that way. I think the first priority is organization, um, rebuilding, uh, and, and candidate recruitment. So we really do have to get our house in order. We, we developed a lot of operational kind of deficits, uh, over the years, and we've been operating, you know, a pretty old school kind of political organization that's built around, um, you know, door knocking and, uh, and emails and, and phone calls. So there's a lot more I think we can do to modernize how we work, uh, utilize technology better to keep the party engaged and talking to one another and sharing uh, intelligence and advice uh, and to have training uh, you know, readily accessible to uh, electoral district association presidents and, and candidates. So uh, priority number one for me would be uh, organization, getting that together, building up to where we need to be, modernizing it and, and recruiting candidates. Uh, 
you know, hopefully between three and two years out from the next election. So they're, they're ready to go. They're out in their communities. They're listening to people at the coffee shops and, and, and selling our message. The next priority for us is, is the platform. So we have to put together a, a real focused policy process that's going to involve uh, the whole party that's going to bring in uh, external voices as well to talk about these big issues that are impacting our province and impacting people's lives and impacting our government services and really take, it, take, a, take the second year to develop our, uh, our plan and how we're gonna how we're gonna market that to Nova Scotians. And then uh, I'd say, you know, year three, uh, if I'm leader, um, it's campaign mode. We are holding the government's feet to the fire in year three. Um, they're also anticipating there to be a, a recession in their budget, even though the Minister of Finance didn't realize that. Uh, <laughs> Fred Tilly asked him, Fred Tilly, our member from Northside Westmount asked him, you know, uh, well, you guys don't have an economic plan and you're, you're planning to have a recession. And, and Al McMaster said, well, how do you know there's going to be a recession? And then Fred Tilly held up the budget. He said, it's in page 53 or whatever. Of the budget. <laughs> so, the, you know, that's the year that, I, that, that the government themselves are anticipating, uh, you know, economic uh, troubles. And uh, I haven't seen them do anything to kind of even uh, try to avoid that. So I, I think the ground will be ripe for really holding their feet to the fire on health, on the economy. Um, and, uh, and we'll see where they're at on, on housing. I don't think they're going to be where we need to be. So, uh, and with labor too. So I think those are going to be the, the issues that we'll really be able to put pressure on them uh, with and, uh, and at the same time be articulating our alternative vision to deal with those, those challenges. Well, thanks for a great discussion, Zach. I'd like to remind everyone that you can vote, uh, register as a voting delegate for the race um, and vote for Zach in July. Thank you so much. Uh, the website is votezachchurchill.ca. Uh, and of course, you can register as a delegate uh, on the Nova Scotia Party uh, website. Just Google NS Liberal and that'll bring you uh, to, to the, to the website. Also, there's, uh, we just had a debate last week, so I'd encourage everybody to check that out. That's on the Liberal Party website as well as, uh, uh available on my social media. Um, you can look me up on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, Zach Churchill, Z-A-C-H. Quinn, thanks for your time, man. This was a lot of fun.